Welcome back to the Talking Footy Podcast. Each week across the footy season, we are talking with the biggest names in the game. I'm Brad Sewell, and this week's guest is former Head of Coaching Development at my beloved Hawks and current Senior Coach of the Brisbane Lions, Tassie Footy Hall of Famer, Chris Fagan. In this chat with Fags, we discuss some of the football identities that he's worked with, namely Neil Danaher, Brendan Bolton, and of course, Alastair Clarkson. He also opens up about some of the biggest issues facing the AFL, namely mental health and some of the internal and external pressures the players face today within the AFL bubble. I'm seeing more and more players suffering from mental health issues and I'm, I'm convinced it's because there is so much pressure on them now externally, not so much internally. I think internally clubs are becoming way better at taking the pressure off, but there's so much media now, so much analysis of the game, all that. I really, I really do worry about that. After 260 games in the Tassie Football League, in addition to a variety of coaching administration roles within the Melbourne Demons, Hawthorne, and of course now is a senior coach at the Brisbane Lions, Fag sits down to share with me his football story and reflects upon his first year's senior coach at the Brisbane Lions. We're talking footy. Fags, thanks for joining us. Firstly, I learnt something over the last couple of weeks researching this, and we've obviously worked together quite a bit at Hawthorne, but your first name is actually not Chris. No, no, my, uh, my first name is Christian. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> I've never been able to live up to that name. You're lucky, you got away. you're lucky that got under the, uh, under the radar at the Hawthorne. Yeah, some people knew. Um, Jared Ruffhead used to call me Christian. He, he somehow found out about yeah, it. But, uh, yeah, my, my, um, I was named after my grandfather, so... Uh, uh, Mum's maiden name was Schultz and her dad's name was Christian Schultz, very German. So I got called Christian and, and my second name was Mark, who's my dad's father was Mark. So uh, that's yeah. how I was named, mate. So uh, well, you yes, you, you've done well there with that bit of research. I was pretty happy with that. And, <laughs> and secondly, I've also just learned that um, upon accepting this request, you're actually unsure of what a podcast is. <laughs> is that right? Well, I've never actually done a podcast before, Sully, and I am 56, so I can be excused for not being up with... I've heard of podcasts, Mm. I just wasn't sure how it sort of happened and what you did, so that's why I asked the question. That's very good. You live and learn. You do indeed. Now, um, Faze, your your story within football is, I find, one of the more interesting, Um, and initially, of course, coming from Tassie, one of the Hall of Famers down there. Yes, uh, I I lived in Tassie until I was... uh, I think I was about 36 maybe when I moved over. Mm. Um, uh, born and bred in Queenstown on the west coast of Tasmania. The Gravel Oval. Uh, that's that... the Gravel Oval, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a gravel over there because it's a, a, an area of high rainfall and some bright spark many, many years ago mm. figured that turf wasn't going to last for very long in Queenstown so they uh, used this sort of gravel surface to play on which was really excellent in the rain because the, the water would just drain straight off it was no good when you fell on it because it cut your legs open and you got yeah. gravel rash and nobody that lived outside of Queensland liked to come and play on that oval but yeah. uh, uh, that's where I um, cut my teeth and cut my legs <laughs> uh, my dad was a footy coach there um, I lived there until I was 15 it's a copper mining town so uh, I finished high school there and uh, uh, then I moved to Hobart because I, yep. I wanted to do matriculation which that's the old word for year 11 and 12. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, my whole f- my mum and dad decided to move as well, so we didn't break the family up, moved to Hobart together. Uh, played footy in the in the league down there, made my day, senior debut at the age of 16. Um, 
would have been about 60 kilos, dripping wet. Um, kicked a goal with my first kick. Um, Lustrous club. Yes. Um, and uh, I played um, probably 13 or so seasons down in Tassie, 260-odd games, and uh, played for Tassie, which was one of my thrills yeah. uh, in my career. And A number of times. Yeah, pro- I don't know, maybe 10, a dozen times, I'm not sure, over a five yeah. or six-year period. Um, but that was, you know, other than winning premierships, that was the one sort of great thing you could do as a footballer in Tassie is be selected in the Tassie side and play against Queensland or play against the Big B. My first my first game was against the Big B. Kevin Bartlett was running around for, for the Big B. Yeah, and right. Dale Waitman. And <laughs> uh, I remember getting cr- crunched in that game. I was 19 at the time. I got crunched. I can't remember who got me, but... I couldn't breathe for about five minutes after that happened. And yeah. my only other recollection of that game was how tired my legs were in the last quarter. I just couldn't pick them up. And normally <laughs> I was a good kick and I got yeah. this free kick about 30 metres out from goal and could not make the distance. So uh, it's probably all that nervous energy. But that was a real thrill, being yeah. able to play, play footy for my yeah. state. Playing football for your state and then entering the coaching domain down there, um, domestic football, and then the... Tac Cup or under 18s as it was then, yep. and then to Melbourne. Yeah, so uh, I think in terms of coaching, uh, my love of coaching probably started way back when I was a kid because my dad coached the local footy team in yep. Queenstown. So I just went to training with him and hung around with him and learnt some good habits and some not so good habits, <laughs> I guess, hanging around <laughs> yeah. miners that could yeah. swear a bit and all that sort of <laughs> stuff. It's, uh, um, I think that's where it started. Um, the coaching bug. Uh, I had some really good teachers at high school who encouraged me to um, uh, pursue uh, a career mm-hmm. uh, which didn't necessarily involve working at the copper mine in Queenstown. And uh, I sort of love so much what some of my teachers did for me that I wanted to become a teacher. So uh, that's what I did. Did, mm. a, did a Bachelor of Education at University of Tasmania and obviously was playing footy at the time. And as the years rolled by, um, I, I uh, f- went from playing to, to coaching. Uh, I coached at North Hobart. I was the uh, the fitness coach and the bench coach. Uh, mm. uh, that was my sort of first coaching gig uh, in, a, in, a, in a senior sense. Mark Yates, who played at Geelong, was the coach. Mm-hmm. He was the playing coach. Uh, I just retired. Uh, so fundamentally, I, he played. I got to coach the team and I was a fitness bloke as well. And we, we won two flags in two years, so it was a, it was a nice introduction. And then... Yeah. Um, I decided I would go. Mark went back to Melbourne. I decided I'd, I wanted to coach a team in my own right. And uh, uh, I read somewhere, and I can't remember who said this, but they said you, d- you don't know how to coach until you go to a club that doesn't know how to win, and you teach them how. And my old club, Sandy Bay, mm. hadn't won a hadn't won a game for a couple of years, and they were looking for a coach. So uh, I applied and was able to get the job. Um, it was a it was a testing sort of a job. Um, they had one for two years. I figured there was no downside. The only way was to go up and yeah. uh, we took a pretty young side in the first year. I think we managed to win six or seven games and then recruited a few guys over the summer that sort of made a little bit of difference and the following year we, we made the preliminary final and uh, then uh, sort of I suppose it was a major turning point in my life. Tassie, Tassie got a team in the TAC Cup and uh, they were looking for a, a coach and it was a full-time position as state director of coaching mm-hmm. and and um, obviously coaching that team. So uh, I suppose what had happened to me over the years, I, I I always thought I'd love to be able to combine my love of football with my love of teaching yeah. and to have that as a full-time job. And 
there weren't many jobs going around in Tassie that you could actually do that. It was probably two or three. Well, one was the, one was the sort of the bloke in charge of the footy foundation down there and, as it turned out, this role. So I applied for it, went for it with all my heart and uh, I managed to get it. So I had three years coaching the Tassie Mariners yep. and uh, then Melbourne Footy Club um, were advertising for a reserves and development coach and it was when Neil Danaher was first appointed as coach of, of the D's and uh, so I sent my CV over, not expecting to, to even get an interview. <laughs> it's half of just testing the waters and yeah. I got an interview. So uh, I think they interviewed five or six people. So I came over for the interview, uh, was probably totally intimidated in the interview. I walked out and I, could, I, I thought of all the good answers to the questions when I walked out the door and thought, yeah. oh, well, good experience, jump on the plane, go back to Tassie. I'll live to fight another day and have have a go at it at a later time. But um, <clears throat> two days later, I was on top of the Ferris wheel with my two daughters at the Royal Hobart show and the <laughs> phone went and it was Neil saying, would I come back for a second interview? And I, I couldn't believe it. I was down to the last two. And uh, as it turned out, I got that job. Um, and uh, so that was the next big moment in my life, moving the family and, and everyone over to, to be the reserves and development coach at at the Melbourne Footy Club, mm. and uh, so uh, that was 1998, Neil's first year. Mm-hmm. Had 10 great years with him at the Demons. Um, I had a couple of years as the reserves and development coach, then I coached the backs, then I coached the forwards, and then I became the footy manager for three years. And then um, uh, Clarko persuaded me to mm. move to, to the Hawks. Um, uh, Neil had finished his time at Melbourne, so I felt like that was a good time for, for me to go. Clarko yeah. would come up with this uh, newfangled role called called Head of Coaching and Development at As Hawthorne and most of you blokes didn't have any clue what I was actually doing <laughs> when I first turned up. We, we, and to we tell still you scratch the, our heads now, I think. <laughs> and to tell you the truth, I probably didn't know myself. They didn't yeah. really write me a, a position description. They just said, well, we want you to coach the coaches a bit and we want you to sort of make sure the development program's right for all the players so yeah. you work out how you do that and write your own position description. So I, uh, I look forward to, um, to scratching the surface of that way. Yeah, I did that and then uh, obviously, like I didn't know at the time um, when I made that move that... I would I'll be going to Hawthorne and in mm. one of its most golden eras, you know, to to be there for nine years and be involved yeah. in five grannies and four flags. Amazing. No, no, no. Just just before yeah. we just before we we scratch the surface <clears throat> a little bit further, there, Fags. Danaher said um, throughout your time, finding Chris Fagan was the best recruiting decision I'd made in all of my time at Melbourne. His work ethic, his people management skills, and his enthusiasm are unparalleled. And he was a cool head I needed because I could get a bit feisty at times. You got a lot to thank Neil for. He was the first one that sort of, I guess, believed in you and bringing you over. Oh, massively. You know, like I actually had the opportunity to move to Hawthorne a year earlier than I did. Mm. And uh, the reason I didn't was because he'd given me my first opportunity in AFL footy and he had a year to go on his contract. And I was hoping that he would have a good year and that, he would continue to coach at Melbourne and I'd continue to work there. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's how strongly I felt about him. I mean, the Hawks offered me a, a job. It was sort of a dream role for me in, in as head of coaching and development. Yeah. And, no, I just I couldn't do that out of, out of loyalty to him. And like, he showed enormous faith in me from the day I arrived at Melbourne. And, you know, you, I suppose you have to understand – I'm I'm just this bloke from Tassie that played a bit of footy down there, and I'm a teacher, and I'm turned up into the big world of AFL footy, mm. 
And, uh, you know, I remember the first day at Melbourne, he introduced me to the group and I'm looking around, there's Jim Steins and Gary Lyon and Stephen Tingay and Todd Viney and all these sort of guys that are sort of bits of legend in my yeah. mind. And, you know, he's, he's introducing me and saying, do I want to say a few words, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, what do I say to these folks? <laughs> I said, oh, I'm really grateful for the opportunity and uh, I hope I can earn your respect over the next little while. And, and uh, you know, Neil, Neil was a great... Uh, person to me and that he was always giving me feedback and, and encouraging me and, and helping me to believe in myself because you you need a bit of that when you first turn up and your background's not necessarily AFL. There's, mm. It's just that little, that may be a hurdle in your own mind, but it's certainly an obstacle you have to overcome. And uh, he, he he embraced me in a, in a magnificent way and you know, we had a great partnership pretty much for 10 years. I think I was the only bloke that spent the whole time there <laughs> With him in his ten years, and and yeah. uh, you know we got to a grand final in two thousand, and so close. Played in six or so final series, and you know the demons haven't played in the final since. And he was a, you know, his, history should say that he was a he was a fine coach and did a great job with the does. D's at a time when they didn't have a lot of money. And you know we had some some talented players, but we were nowhere near the most talented team. As as that, I guess career coach you become or within football, what did you learn specifically from Neil and? I guess the coaching department and the Melbourne Football Club during that time. Yeah, I, I learned a lot from Neil and about how uh, you, you prepare and you analyse the opposition. He, he worked extremely hard um, on the upcoming teams, but he also worked extremely hard on the way that we played ourselves. I remember our first, my first preseason with the Demons. We had a month at at uh, Caulfield Grammar School every day and it was like a living we didn't stay there at night but basically there were full days where he taught the whole game plan and how we're going to go about things it was quite quite revolutionary yeah. at the time and he he could really dissect the game um like no one else i'd ever met at that stage um the other thing i learned from him too was you've got to change as a coach you can't just go in and where you start you start you're the same person at the end mm. um you know and i, I saw him change his the way he coached. Um, when he first started at the D's, it was my way or the highway and he could give some of the best bakes I'd ever seen and, mm. you know, they weren't even directed at me and I'd be intimidated by them at times. And after two or three years, he realised that he needed to change a little bit, that if we were going to progress, that he had to sort of hand over a bit of ownership to the team itself. And when David Neitz became captain at the beginning of the year 2000, uh, Neil became a lot more empowering in that way and uh, uh, we developed our leadership group and uh, uh, and they had a fair influence over the way the group conducted itself on and off the field. But to me that just showed another side to Neil. I, I didn't know that he could change like that. I thought he was going to be that fire and brimstone coach all the way through. But in his 10 years at Melbourne, he, he evolved all mm. the time. And uh, the other thing he was great at uh, was being the spokesperson for the football club. Um, I yep. think they called him the Reverend there at one stage and that was that was really because at the time you know at the time I was at Melbourne it was a struggle for us we didn't have a lot of money um, our supporter base wasn't huge our performances fluctuated a little bit and uh, you know he was the one that really tried to unite the club and the members and everyone yeah. behind what was happening he's a man that has now transcended football and has become a, a spokesperson for a much larger cause is it, you still keep in touch with Neil yeah I try to talk to him on a regular basis not as not as regular as I would like but yeah. he rings me occasionally I ring him occasionally and 
now when I'm in Melbourne, I pop in to see him every now and then. We have a good chat about footy. Um, I, I, gee, I, I look at him now and I think he, he's nearly, oh, no, he is the most selfless person that I've ever met. Um, you know, he's got, got this disease which is going to get him in the end and he mm. knows it, but he's spending every waking hour that he has left on the planet trying to raise money to find a cure so that people down the track can overcome, mm. uh, you know, what is eventually going to, to kill him. Um, yeah. And he does it with such a smile on his face and, uh, uh, you know, such a positive attitude. Um, what he's done for that cause is just amazing and set a great example to, to everybody else about, you know, uh, putting yourself, put, putting others before yourself and, and uh, accepting what life deals with you, deals up to you and, and, yeah. and try and make the most of it, I guess. What drives me and what drives you comes from within. And football, there's an element of self to get the best out of yourself. There's an element of that that's true to everyone. You want to be the best you can be. And there's a continuum of you looking at self. Over there, selfish, and over there, selfless on that line. And nothing great can get done with selfish people. Nothing. So where do you sit on that? And to be great together, you have to be selfless. And where that sits with you, you can say whatever you like, but your teammates know by what you do, by what you do. There's a saying, when all's said and done, more is said than done. And the mark of a person is not what you say, it's what you do. He's become a hero in so many people's eyes. And there aren't many roles in football that you haven't had. And then, as you touched on before, um, Clarko and the Hawks had a couple of cracks at you. Uh, and it wasn't until uh, the second attempt where he got you over as that coach of the coach's role, predominantly. You said before you didn't actually have a role description, but what did you do <laughs> at Hawthorne then? We saw you charging around the whole time. Yeah. And it was obviously a pivotal role throughout a, a phenomenal period for the Hawks. Yeah. What, what, I, did, what did you hang your hat on doing <clears throat> that? I think um, coaches are performers in their own right um, as are players mm -hmm. and... What had happened uh, around the time that Clarko got the job at Carlton uh, at um, Hawthorne, um, there was sort of a, I guess there was a bit of a revolution in the number of coaches there were at, at AFL clubs. I mean, when I first started, there was three of us: mm -hmm. the, the the head coach, the assistant coach, and the reserves coach. That was in 1998. Yeah. By the time we got to 2008, ten years later, there were anywhere between seven and ten coaches yeah. at an AFL club. So. The job of, of coordinating the coaches um, towards a common goal um, was probably a difficult thing for the senior coach to do, given all his responsibilities with the team, etc. So Clarko thought um, in his wisdom that it would be good to appoint somebody at the club who could coordinate the coaches, keep them developing, yeah. keep them challenged, challenge him, uh, help him a bit. Um, as well as run the development program for all the coaches. And, and uh, uh, for some reason or other, he thought I could do that. Mm. Um, we had a little bit of time together at Melbourne early days. Yeah. Uh, my first year there was his last year there. And uh, so we had a bit of a friendship and it kept in touch. And 
yeah, he must have liked the way that I went about things and thought I would could be the person that would do that role. And um, it was a, it was a really exciting role. Uh, you know, often what happens at AFL clubs is that assistant coaches come in and they don't always get feedback on how they're going and they wonder. Um, what we set up at Hawthorne, as mm. you would know, was a really good uh, performance appraisal system that the players participated in and, and the coaches got really meaningful feedback and were, yep. were able to develop. Hopefully you saw that yeah. in front of your eyes. And, uh, um, yeah, we got, and I suppose in a way we developed all those coaches and then they went and coached somewhere else. And, I mean, <laughs> that, that strikes me because um, Clarko uh, is the doin of, of coaching at this point in time and he'll go down his history. He's one of the greatest coaches yep. um, and he's been, and right, rightfully so, lauded as having produced Adam Simpson, Leon Cameron, Brendan Bolton, Damien Hardwick, Luke Beveridge and, of course, yourself. But you produce them as a director of coaching. Oh, I would say that Clark O and I had a partnership and that we, we did that together. Yeah. And I think um, the sort of environment that that he created before mm-hmm. I arrived there was, was one of innovation and of growth. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, I think it would be fair to say that um, on, on that score that I think both of us helped help those guys equally and... Yeah. And he had the foresight to create that position that enabled that to occur. Um, And I think, and you would have seen this, I think it's really good for the players to see that the coaches put a lot of pressure on them to develop and grow. And but we were putting a lot of pressure on ourselves to develop and grow too. And that was a good role model for you guys at the time. Yeah, well, it was. I mean, I think you got you guys challenged yourselves as much Mm. as as you expect the players to challenge each other as as well. Yeah. I agree with that. I mean, when I first got the job at Brisbane, I got asked a few questions about about Hawthorne. I said, well, really in a funny sort of a way, it was like a football university, you know. We went there and we learned and we got better and we grew not only in our knowledge of football but the the development of people, uh, life skills. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, all of you guys that have come through that successful era, I think the great majority of you are going to go on to uh, lead great lives, not just in football but in all the other things that you do because of the values and things that you learnt Mm. during that period of time. And that's what you try to create really. Yeah. And and you you became Clarko's sounding board for a lot of of the different concepts, philosophies um, that we developed throughout throughout that period of time as well. Yeah, I think uh, now I am a senior coach, you know, you you do need that that probably that one person you lean on a little bit more just yeah. to to pass things by them because yeah. you can you're bombarded with ideas and theories and people telling you how to do things and your job as a leader is to make sense of it all and and present something to your players that they can understand and and deliver on and um, so I think it's important for a senior coach to have that person that they can talk to and I think in the nine years I spent at Hawthorne that that relationship just got stronger and stronger. And mm-hmm. it wasn't like – it was feisty at times because you know what Clarko's like. He's a passionate <laughs> passionate man about some of his ideas and some of them get a little bit crazy from yeah. time to time. And, you know, he, I'd have to go like, oh, that might be one of those ones you just need to sleep on and never think about for a couple of days. <laughs> that, and I think that was his sign from me that yeah. I'm not sure about that one. But uh, – <laughs> But we had a great relationship. We still have. We still talk a lot about yeah. footy and, and bounce ideas around and and try and help each other where, where we can, even though it's a competitive game and when, when Brisbane plays Hawthorne, the, the gloves are on. and You're heated in the box too. I enjoyed go. watching that. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. That day. My, my emotions were... 
I don't know what it was. I guess it's just because the old team. But yeah, of course. It was probably, I'll put that down as my worst day in the box in terms really? of firing up a few times. Yeah. Um, oh, it's just the competitive nature. You know, we all we all love each other, yeah. but we all want to beat each other. Were there any uh, <laughs> any texts or jibes pre, uh, pre-match pre to Clarko just winding him up? No, no, we were, we were relatively quiet mm. on, on that front and <laughs> didn't receive anything from the players. Um, I'd have to say it was one of the most, the most strangest days yeah, I've had in footy. Because uh, I haven't been coaching Brisbane that long. I've been seven or eight games and here I am with these blokes that I've been with for nine years and we had all that success and suddenly I'm in yeah. the box coaching against them. You know? like coaching against your kids almost. It was a little bit like that. It was quite strange. And um, you would have been telling Brisbane players about how to get under the skin and how to <laughs> beat was, all these all yeah. players. Yeah, I know. Jack Gunson couldn't forgive me. I, I spoke to him a few weeks back. He said, why, why did you tag me in that game? I said, that's because I respect you, Jack. You know? uh, well done. <laughs> it's... Uh, uh, it's uh yeah it was, it was a strange day. I'm glad it's out of the way, and um, it probably won't be that strange the next time it happens. But um, uh, some wonderful friendships at Hawthorne that will will last forever, and I'm yeah. looking forward to those um, uh, reunions we have God. down the tracks. All the one next year. I can't believe it's come, ten years it since 2008. So yeah, so uh, we'll be able to have a few of those uh, over the next few years. It'll be great. Hi, sorry to interrupt. Emily Angwin here. I just wanted to remind you of some of our other episodes of the Talking Footy podcast. There's Wayne Carey. Go and have a couple of beers, maybe a few more than a couple, after the game. Recovery Saturday and by lunchtime Saturday afternoon would be all together as a team. And that's why I think part of why we we're such a good team because we we're so close off it. You know, a few more beers with the, with the mates. And, and if we didn't have a Friday night game the week after, we'd generally back up again on Sunday. <laughs> so it was not a bad stint. Trent Cotchin. It's a game. I know that a lot of people's lives <laughs> and weeks depend on the result, but the reality is the sport I play is a game, whereas my life is what's most important. Bob Murphy. Rodney Ede, the tyrant, took you and Scott West aside in a secret meeting and said, start up a bit of trouble today. Now, I didn't know anything about that. First bounce of the practice match, I found a bit of a sore spot for you, and then all of a sudden for me, the lights went out. Make sure you check them out and be sure to leave us a review. It's easy. Jump on iTunes, search Talking Footy Podcast, and give us a rating. Also, feel free to let us know who you want to hear from next on Twitter using the hashtag TalkingFootyPod. Thanks for listening. I'll let you get back to it. I mean, one of the other... Um, really close relationships you've got that pre-sends Hawthorne is Brendan Bolton. Um, yep. Obviously from Tasmania and another career coach and um, arguably another sort of vertically challenged coach as well. <laughs> well, the coaching staff at Hawthorne were all oompa loompas. <laughs> oh, they had to be, didn't they? <laughs> you had to be under five foot eight to get a job. She <laughs> <laughs> did there for a while. Um, how'd you go coaching against Bolton? Uh, it was sort of diff. I suppose it was different. Um, uh, because, well, actually, firstly, um, yeah. your relationship with Bolts. Yeah. Where, where does that come from? Oh, and how's yeah. that well, sort of? Brent, Brendan played for the Tassie Mariners when I coached the Tassie Mariners, so I met him as a sixteen-year-old. Yeah. And uh, uh, as a as a player, he's one of those players a coach loves because uh, he would give his all every time that he played. You know, not the most talented person, not the quickest person, not the cleanest with his hands, but the best at trying to improve his game by far. And uh, um, so he he played with us for a couple of years, was a regular in our team. 
Uh, he then went and had a successful playing career in Tassie and at a fairly young age became a playing coach, I think, at North Hobart and yeah. had some success. Uh, injuries sort of caught up with him. I think he had sort of hamstring injuries and so he th- really threw himself into his coaching. Um, he um, he rang me and asked could he come over uh, for a, a week to the Hawks for a week's work experience. I think he was coaching Clarence mm-hmm. uh, in the TF State League down Tassie at the time and... I had a word to Clarko and said, look, this young bloke's pretty keen, enthusiastic. He's a bit of an expert on learning as well. He's done some study overseas. Uh, uh, what about we get him over? But we, he has to do a bit of a presentation to us on what he knows about learning. So Clarko said, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. So we got Bolts over for a week. Uh, he impressed us all. Um, he went back and coached his year in Tassie. Um, we needed someone to coach Box Hill the next year. Clarko and I were overseas when that position became vacant. We both looked at each other at the same time and said, what about young Bolts? Straight away. And uh, so uh, he went through a process, but uh, he was always the person that we were keen to get. And uh, at the time, things weren't going great at Box Hill, we didn't think. We needed someone to go in and really tidy it up and make it like a little mini Hawthorne, I guess. And um, that was his task when he arrived. And uh, he certainly did that for a couple of years. Box Hill became a really strong club, played in finals both years. And then a, a spot popped up for a an assistant coach's role after two years of doing the Box Hill role. We we promoted him into that uh, as a midfield coach and then uh, then he became the forward line coach and then he got the Carlton job. And, uh, yeah, it's just, just been amazing to see the transformation of a 16-year-old lad into yeah. a, an AFL coach. So uh, him and I are great friends, I suppose. And uh, the strange part about it was when, when we played Carlton a few weeks ago, me, internally, I really wanted to beat Colton, but there was a bit in me that didn't want to beat Bolts. It's sort of strange. I don't know what it yeah. was because I suppose because we're both uh, clubs down the bottom of the ladder and we're striving to, yep. to rise, that sometimes uh, when those two clubs play each other, one of them has to win and one of them has to lose, and the one that loses probably gets canned and the one that wins, they're making progress. And we all know that that's not how footy is, but yeah. that's how it can be treated. So... Uh, uh, yeah, I felt a little bit sorry for him that he was going to have to live through that week that that Brisbane, yep. the team on the bottom of the ladder, actually beat his team. And yep. We all know footy's not as simple as that. It's just how it is on the day sometimes. And they had a few injuries. We were up and about and that worked out for us and it, it didn't work out for him. But, um, no, we had a chat the next day and um, talked about the game and um, I think we'll be lifelong buddies. That's what it's all about, right? It is, yeah, at the end of the day. Well, what, sort of a, what sort of a coach are you, Fags? You've coached the coaches. You've been in football for as long as you have in so many different roles. Yeah. What sort of a coach are you? Well, I'm a very relationship-based coach and I, and, I, and I suppose the other word I'd, I'd use about me, I think people would describe me, I'm, 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 an, I'm an enabler and an empowerer. Mm-hmm. I, I, I honestly believe that you get the best results when you've got... Uh, Everyone committed to the cause and feeling like they have the ability to speak up um, and to influence and to make the place a better place, and that's the that's the culture we've we've tried to get going at, at Brisbane. The, the players are responding really well to it. I expect them to have an opinion on everything when I ask them. Yep. Um, I, I I don't like it when I sit in a team meeting and I ask for their voice on something that I don't get much of a return. <laughs> um, they've learnt that. They're now really into the fact that they can make the club what they want to make it. Um, 
So I guess all the way along, I'm, I'm, I'm still that teacher. I'm still trying to teach everybody, whether it be players or our coaches, to be better at what they do. Yep. And uh, the fundamental uh, premise upon which all that is built, though, is strong relationships um, and trust. I don't think you can you can develop people until they know that you're in their corner and that all you want is for them to be the best that they can be. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, that's how I go about it. Um, you know, my first thing I did when I got the Brisbane coaching job was I, I caught up with every single player for anywhere between half an hour and an hour and I asked them three questions. What's working well here? What needs to improve? And if you were the senior coach, what would be the two or three mm-hmm. things that you'd focus on? And from asking those three questions of everyone, I saw some really clear trends and some of them I'd, I'd predicted but some I hadn't and yeah. I was able to implement a lot of those things because there was a critical mass of players that were saying those things need to fix up, they need to be improved. So what our players worked out straight away was I was going to listen to them and um, uh, a lot of the things that we've put in place have worked really, really well and they've been players' ideas. So I, I think they clearly understand that they're on the journey with us and they're part of it yeah. and it's not a not me or a couple of other people coming in and ruling the world and this is how we're going to do it and this is the way forward. Uh, we're all doing it together. You actually make it sound really easy. <laughs> no, it's not easy. It has its trials and tribulations. Yeah. And sometimes sometimes as a, as a coach you've got to shut your mouth and listen because I, I think the key to good leadership is asking the right questions and listening uh-huh. uh, more than it is telling. Uh, and I very much like it uh, when the players work out solutions themselves and they own own performance themselves. You know, at the end of the day, you want them to be able to say, "We did it ourselves." Uh, that's the greatest thing. So, in a way, you're trying to give them that gift, I suppose, yeah. um, to to uh, to understand the game, to understand values like selfless and how important that is in a team and yeah. playing roles. And and uh, I've spent all of our time this year just learning about that and using examples from not just AFL but all over the world in all walks of life of how those values are critical. Did, did you think the opportunity to be a senior AFL coach had, had passed you by? Probably, yeah. Um, was, it's funny, my philosophy on life and, and people have got different philosophies and no one's right, no one's wrong. Mine's always been... Do the best job in the, that you can in the job that you've got and another door will always open for you. And so uh, I always harboured desires to coach. Mm-hmm. I perhaps thought that um, because I didn't have an AFL background in terms of playing that that would always uh, probably hold me back. Um, uh, as my career evolved, it sort of went, as we've talked about tonight, all the different things that I've done and... I absolutely enjoyed every role that I had and then uh, to my surprise um, I was contacted by the Brisbane Lions. Greg Swan rang me he said to me, are you, what are you deep down, a footy manager or a coach? <laughs> I said, I'm a coach. That's what I love and that's what I would love to do. And yeah. he goes, oh, that's all I wanted to hear. He said, will you come into our process? And I said, yep, I'll give it a go. And uh I must admit, I was pretty. It was pretty terrifying at the age of fifty-five going for an AFL coaching job, <laughs> and, and it's sort of crazy because I'd been on the other side of the table interviewing coaches plenty. in processes over the years, and my role as a, a GM of footy. So uh, here I was on the other side of the table, being grilled by everybody and on my philosophies and 
and what I would like to do. And, and the other bit that was hard about it was was leaving Hawthorne because I loved Hawthorne. And I and I'm, I must admit I always saw myself as, all right, I'm probably going to be at Hawthorne now till my days are up as long as they wanted me yeah. and uh, not thinking this opportunity would pop up and it did. And fortunately enough, I, I was able to win win the process and, and uh, got the job and... Uh, yeah, it's been a whirlwind ever since. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. What what advice would you have to aspiring coaches coming into that process now? Sam Mitchell, for example. <coughs> um, my personal view is, and look, I know there's all different ways to be a, a, a great coach or be become a senior coach. I think at some point in time you need to coach your own team um, to find out whether you really do love it hmm. because it's – it's challenging, you know, at, at AFL club. You've got 50 players on your list. They all want to be successful. Not all of them end up being successful. You've got to manage them. There's a whole lot of different personalities. There's all your staff you've got to manage. Uh, and then you've got to work with media, sell the brand, get your messaging right. There's a thousand and one things you need to do. So for me, I reckon, funnily as it sounds, at the age of 55, I was really ready because I'd had so many experiences over the years of coaching my own team. I've yeah. been a GM of footy. I'd run a football department. I'd help teach coaches. Yeah. There were so many lessons that I'd had along the way that I felt like when I, I got into the chair um, that that I was really well prepared. But the greatest thing, I think, is to either have coached your own team or at least had some real genuine experiences managing people in pressure situations. So... Um, now, having said that, I know some of the great coaches never coached their own teams before they coached an AFL team, and I accept that great coaches can come from all walks of life and different pathways, but that's what I believe in. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you come from obviously Hawthorne and Melbourne and then Tasmania football heartland to Brisbane, where AFL is potentially the second or arguably the second sport in Brisbane. Has that been a challenge, promoting not only Brisbane but more broadly the game in an NRL uh, stronghold? Yeah, it's very different to um, to Melbourne. <laughs> I, you know, um, I can walk down the street up in Brisbane and no one knows who I am and that's cool. I, I actually like that. You were, mob- uh, you were mobbed in the streets of Melbourne though. Oh, I wasn't mobbed. But pe- <laughs> people tend to recognise you a little yeah. bit more down here. It's funny, I, I jump off a plane now and at Melbourne Airport and you see people pointing, oh, that's the coach of Brisbane. You know, when you go to Brisbane, no one knows who the coach of Brisbane is. That'd be nice. <laughs> it is good. Yeah. Um, but with that sort of comes, like you got it. In Melbourne, there's a, there's a lot of pressure just created because you're in Melbourne. There's the media, there's the focus, it's the football heartland and, mm-hmm. and the same probably in Adelaide and Perth because their football is the number one, AFL football is the number one sport, whereas yeah. in Brisbane it's not. So... Um, we have to find ways to to put pressure on ourselves to improve because it's just easy just to be up there and no one really cares. It's almost a bit of a paradox in that way, in, isn't in it? In some ways it's funny and, and it is and, and in a way it's good for players because you can go up there and concentrate on your footy and you haven't got all that pressure that you've got on you down mm-hmm. here, which is a bit of a worry now because I'm, I'm seeing more and more players suffering from mental health issues and I'm, I'm convinced it's because there is so much pressure on them now externally not so much internally. I think internally clubs are becoming way better really? at taking the pressure off. Yeah. Um, but there's so much media now, so much an- analysis of the game, all that. I really, I really do worry about that. But we have a nice environment up in Brisbane where it's not, not necessarily like that. Mm. But we, we want to get better. We want to improve. And the Queensland sporting market is they follow winners up there. So if 
if we can get Brisbane to become a strong competitive team again, we'll fill the gabber up. And we've we've even noticed that recently, just because we've been winning a few more games, yeah, our right. crowds have gone up by two or three thousand the last <laughs> last three times we've played there. Mm. And uh, so that's a good sign. Um, but it is a different place. Um, people aren't as clued into AFL as they are to NRL. Um, but I'm sure that there's a, there's a lot of kids up there that play AFL, women and 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 men. Yeah. Uh, and there's tremendous interest in the sport and it's got massive potential if both ourselves and Gold Coast can, can become more competitive. Sunday, join us for Game Day. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to our 10th season of Game Day. Hosted by Hamish McLaughlin, every Sunday at 10am on the channels of Seven. She caught up exclusively with Rui this morning. They're pretty confident as well that structurally it's OK. Christian Petrarca's in love with Christian Petrarca. <laughs> <laughs> it's where all of footy's big names come to play. You touched on... There, the the pressures internally, be externally, and and some of the challenges that are facing the game now by way of mental health and that media scrutiny. I mean, we used to speak about at Hawthorne, you know, the opinions that matter the most are your coaches and your peers, and what happens inside these four walls. Yeah. How how does the game tackle that? Because it's it's looming large really quickly. Yeah, yeah, and I know the AFL Players Association are all over it. And the and the other thing with so is social media. Yeah. And, you know, the, anyone can write anything about anyone out there and if you happen to be one of those young blokes that reads everything that gets written about you, it can do your head in. Mm. And uh, uh, I think the best thing to do is is education of our players and teach them to cope, how to cope and how to survive in that sort of environment because yeah. it's not going to go away. Uh, and the other thing is that the clubs have just got to get really good at making sure that players have good balance in their life, that it's not all football, 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 yeah. um, that they do have their days off, that they even get days off that we don't have to give them off. Um, uh, you know, I know for us, we travel, we play on Sundays a lot interstate, and so you're travelling back on Sunday night, you get back to Brisbane at 11 o'clock. You could easily have the players in at the club the next day, but we choose to not do that. Mm. We don't see them until Tuesday because um, we think that helps their life balance and their energy. Yeah. Um, so I think you've got to be constantly aware of that and take mental health seriously. It's real, you know. There was this stigma attached to it. Oh, you, you're soft if you're like that. But no, there's so many people that suffer from it, not just in AFL but in life in general. We, we, we've got to look out for them and look after them and, and know that if, if we do, people who suffer from it can get back to living a normal life. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really quite passionate about that. So, uh, you know, I just want to just – for us, our little bit is that we just got to keep good balance at our footy club and – making sure they're rested, energised, that they're studying or doing something outside of mm -hmm. footy to, to make them appreciate the, the bigger aspects of life because it is a bubble, AFL, and it's yeah. not normal. Um, yeah, I think that's, the, that's a really important function of an AFL club now. How does a, um, a senior coach like yourself who has the experience relate to and and sell that message, if you like, about social media, about the challenges and the disconnect between the game and its demands and um, and the society more broadly. Um, how, how do you get that message across, given that you're sort of, you're, you're removed from, you know, social yeah, media uh, in particular? Yeah. Oh, I, just, I guess on things like this and when you get the opportunity, you, you, you talk about it and you don't sweep it under the carpet. Yeah. Um, uh, the, in, the, we we have various forums, you know, the, 
the coaches association, the coaches meet regularly. We, we meet with Gil McLaughlin. We meet with the AFLPA. They're all the bodies that can actually help um, with the education and selling that that message. And I think hopefully too, uh, and this may already be happening, but I think I think to some degree, and I hope the people in the media don't take this the wrong way, but I think we need to educate media a little bit and to understand that sometimes the things that they say, yeah. I know these boys are big boys and they're meant to be out of copper, but some of it gets pretty personal and pretty over the top and so we, we need to understand, I think as a collective group in football, yep. the risks. So from a, I mean, it's an interesting perspective because from a, a media's perspective, perspective <coughs> they've got a job to do yep. and their job is to report on um, certain events, circumstances, games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Um, and in essence, particularly in social media, it's the players that open themselves up to mm. read and absorb what is said or what is not said. Yeah. It's a fine line. Mm. Yeah, it is a fine line. Um, I mean, I've got daughters myself, you know, and I've seen one of them in particular um, get upset about things that have been written on Facebook and Instagram about them yeah. and. Uh, I can remember having a good parental chat with her at the time and saying, you know, well, I don't even know why you you involve yourself in it. Why don't you just cut it off and you don't need it in your life. You can survive without it. And I think that's what she ended up doing, which is which is good because it can be cruel um, and nobody likes to be uh, attacked and vilified or criticised yep. unfairly yep. Um, by people who you don't know often. Um no, it's a tricky. It's a tricky issue. I don't have all the answers. I just I am worried about it though, yeah. and we've got to keep searching for ways to help our players, and not just our players, but our coaches, um, uh, deal with it. Yeah, um, Gil McLaughlin, CEO of the, a of the AFL, um, has introduced his annual dinner, whereby invites all of the coaches around, of which um, you're an attendee for the first time this year. As I was the only interstate coach who turned up. Is that right? Yeah, I thought they were all going to go there. What it was, was just the the, it was just the Melbourne coaches and uh, and me. So what did you bring to the table? What happens there? What, I mean, what's discussed from a, from oh, a, yeah, know, a Queensland just, perspective? Yeah, well, we talk about all the issues in the game, whether it be umpiring, whether it be the T20 version of, of AFL, um, rules of the game, issues in the game. Yep. They, they all get talked about. It's a good... Good forum. Um, it's interesting, um, though, what I, I found that night, and it's no criticism of the coaches that are based in Melbourne, but the coaches in Melbourne are very Melbourne-centric and they, they don't understand necessarily the issues that you face in some of those other states. Yep. And uh, there was just a couple of couple of ideas that came up and I've gone, well, yeah, how, how are we <laughs> going to do that in Brisbane? <laughs> and they went... Yeah, yeah, we never thought of that. You know? <laughs> so it's good to have a voice there and yeah. and talk about those sorts of things. And as I say, it's not because they don't care about it. It's just because sometimes you're out of sight, out of mind. They don't understand the issues that you have. Yep. Um, and uh, so it's good to have a voice there and I'm glad I turned up. Yeah. And I think they appreciated that I did. Yeah, I bet they did. <laughs> um, as, a, as we sort of opened with you, uh, Tasmanian Football Hall of Famer, um, can we talk about the state of football in Tassie? And it's something particularly close to your heart, of course, and you're passionate about. What's happening down there? How, do they get their own team? Is it something you'd be interested in um, in tying together in some way, shape or form down the track? Uh, I'm, 
yeah, I'm, I think it's not right that Tasmania haven't got a team. I've thought that for a long time. I mean, there's four traditional football states, Western Australia, South Australia, Victoria and Tasmania. And um, it just it, it just seems, I, I don't know the reason why, but in the expansion to the national competition, Tassie's always been the poor relation. Yeah. And... I don't think we'll ever really have a truly national competition until Tassie's in it. Then the vibe will be right. It's 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 just the right decision. And mm. I think the AFL understand that. People in Tassie are passionate about their football. The, the concerns have always been financial, their ability to support a team. Mm-hmm. And the other thing has always been that, you know, New South Wales, Queensland were expansion states, new markets. Tassie's not a new market. They love their footy down there. They don't need a team. Um, but as we know, you know they're passionate about uh, they're passionate about Hawthorne. They're passionate about North Melbourne. They turn up to the games. Yeah. They love their footy, and I'm sure that they would really embrace their own team if it were to be. And you yeah. look at the players that Tasmania have produced over the years, and the, even other people playing other roles in in sport in in, in AFL footy. Uh, it's huge mm. for the population and. Um, I'm hopeful that some time down the track, while I'm still on the planet, that that actually occurs. Yep. Um, um, you know, it will be a tremendous boost to Tasmanian football. I know the Tassie Mariners, when we had the Tassie Mariners full-time in the TAC Cup, the interest in footy went through the roof and the number of kids that yeah, wanted to yeah. try out for it just just increased rapidly because what they could see was a direct link to being able to play AFL footy. And unfortunately, that's been taken away too. So I'd love to see that come come back again. Yeah. You know, the Brendan Boltons of the world came through that process. Now, he didn't turn out to be an AFL footballer, but he's an AFL coach. Yeah. And a lot of them turned out to be great AFL players. You know, Russell Robertson, Brad Green, Grant Birchall, all came through that sort of uh, that system. So the talent's down there. Mm-hmm. We need to reignite interest in footy in Tassie, get them passionate again. And the best way to do it is have our own team. Very passionate about it. I like it. Oh, yeah. um, I'm going to throw a few names at you, Fags. I just want you to to spit out the first word that comes to your mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's always fun. Um, we'll start with an easy one. Neil Danaher. Loyal. David Neitz. Hard as nails. Brendan Bolton. Don't think. <laughs> Educator. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the first word. I'd like to know what was. <laughs> yeah. Buddy Franklin. Massive talent. Gil McLaughlin. Innovative. Al Clarkson. Legend. Sam Mitchell. Smart. Tim Steins. <laughs> oh, gee, Jimmy. Kind. Luke Hodge. Inspirational leader. Dane Zorko. Um, human energizer. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Cyril Rioli. Sublime. Good. We're going to say delicious then. <laughs> Brisbane Lions. Improving. I like it. Um, As a coach, I'd imagine you don't like asking the question, who is the best player you've coached or been associated with? But who have you enjoyed being involved with from a coaching player point of view? 
Uh, tough question. I, I, in some ways, Russell Robertson at, at uh, Melbourne. Yep. Um, because I coached Russell in the Tassie Mariners and sort of discovered him, really. Um, I remember the first night I turned up to the squad training that he was involved with on the northwest coast of Tasmania and uh, um, I just noticed him. I can still remember him running around. He had a pair of LA Lakers basketball shorts on <laughs> and, I, and I just liked his bounce yeah. and <laughs> it's weird. And I said to the, the coach there at the time, I said, oh, who's that bloke? Oh, Russell Robertson, is he any good? No, he's not much good, mate. I said, all oh, right, really? And then we, we trained and he moved well and he had power and uh, I said to this coach, who's the best player here? And he showed me this bloke and so I pitted them together and did a bit of one-on-one and mm. Russell actually thrashed this bloke and I'm thinking, hmm, there might be something in this young fellow. Anyway, we picked him in our squad and yeah. he became a really good player for us and was drafted by Melbourne and then went on to play over 200 games and it's one of the best marks I've ever seen for his size. He's only five foot ten, but he could take a mark like you wouldn't believe. So, uh, And he was a guy that made the most of his talent and developed other um, angles to his game. So... Uh, in some ways, I really enjoyed Russell because I, I sort of was on the journey with him for almost all of his career from mm. discovering him to mm. him, you know, reaching his full potential at Melbourne. He might have had a couple of years there uh, once I left. Uh, and it looks really hard at Hawthorne. There are so many blokes there that are great for for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, Sam Mitchell, I so admire for his ability to continue to adapt and grow his game. He's not the most gifted athlete you've ever seen, mm. but he just finds ways to to get better and better. Um, and Hodge, just for his selflessness and his leadership, would, would just play whatever role he needed to play for the team, even though he could probably be the best midfielder. If he had to go to halfback, he'd go to halfback. Uh, if he had to go forward, he'd go forward. And just his ability to coach on field, I've never seen anyone like him. Mm. And uh, we all saw it the other night when he was mic'd up. Yeah. And uh, I think that opened a lot of eyes to why Luke Hodge has been so pivotal to Hawthorne's yeah. success. I mean, you'll go to the, the draft this year and next couple of years with a glut of opportunities. At its most basic or simplistic, what do you look for in a footballer? In young footballers and more generally if you have yeah. opportunity to trade? I mean, what is it? What's a You look for good character first and foremost because I think... Ultimately, if you're, if you're going to have success, you need a team full of great characters that understand teamwork and selflessness and playing your role. It's not about you and, and all of that. So you need, to, you need to look for that first and foremost. Uh, then I reckon you need to look for game sense, guys that really understand how to play the game, can read the game, uh, know where to stand, know what to do. It's got footy smarts. I really rate that. You obviously need a certain amount of speed and agility is an important part yeah. in footy now. It's so much congestion. The players who can zig and zag out of the congestion and get the ball out, incredibly important. What's what do you think I'd say, Saul? No, I wasn't sure. <laughs> I'm really not sure. Yeah. Um, what's the best advice you've received? Be yourself. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time when I first started coaching, I was trying to be somebody else and I pretty soon worked out you can only be yourself and... Um, somebody had already given me, given me that advice and I hadn't taken it but I worked it out pretty quickly and, yeah. you know, um, yeah, just be yourself, trust yourself. I think that's being genuine. I mm. think people like it when you're genuine. We certainly had quite a few at Hawthorne and Clarko, plenty, but what's your favourite 
coaching cliche? God, I don't. Do I use them? I don't think. I don't think I have. I haven't picked any up. Cliches, like one week at a time, and uh, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you're only as good as your last game. <laughs> <laughs> there's some rivers. They're brilliant. Hey? There's some brilliant ones around. It is yeah. what it is. That's taken All a bit of, of a. That one's come up a bit this year. Yeah. Uh, I don't really have a favourite well, one, but well, I do laugh when I hear them, and I do, I do laugh when I, I hear people using them. If if I asked if I asked some of the Brisbane boys, what would they say? Oh, have you got any, have you got any idiosyncrasies that you've picked up now that you're head coach as opposed to being GM or coach of the coaches? I don't know. You're better off to ask other people that. I haven't been pointed out for. Okay, for they're anything. just not comfortable enough yet to start uh, oh, cranking I, I, you. I hope, they, I hope they are. I want them to be. Yeah. Um, I think that's all part of it. You know that they feel comfortable <laughs> enough to do that. Yeah. They sort of laugh at my music taste and uh, and sometimes the clothes I wear. There's a slight sort of. There's a slight generational gap there, isn't there? Slight generational gap. I, you know, do my best. <laughs> <laughs> Bags, when was the last time you cried? Um, when I left Hawthorne. You did? Yep. When I had to talk to the players. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the staff. Yeah, there was a lot of... Uh, um, yeah, we'd been through a lot of things together and yeah. there's a lot of great friendships there and it was a very hard place to tug myself away from, I guess. And when you, when you have to stand up in front of them and sort of say thank you and goodbye um, and you look around the room and you see all those faces... And all those things you've been through, that gets a little bit hard. So yeah, I, I teared up a bit when I yeah. left the Hawks. Well, what was Clarko's reaction? I'd imagine he would have been happy, but it would have hurt losing his right hand man as well. Yeah, I think he was probably a little bit surprised yeah. um, by it all. Um, I hadn't really talked to anyone much about my desire to coach, and mm. I suppose he, like me, probably thought it wasn't going to happen uh, either. So. You know, what is it now? It's August. If you had to ask me this question in August last year, would I be coaching the Brisbane Lions? I would have laughed at you. <laughs> so it all happened pretty quickly. Um, and I just decided to take the opportunity. So I, I probably uh, figure it left a few people shocked and probably none more so than Clarko. Yep. Um, but I know he's also really happy for me because I'm doing what I always wanted to do. And... Uh, I think, you know, once he got over that shock and and uh, everything, yeah, he, it's all positive and we've shared some great moments together. And yep. Who knows, we might share some more some, somewhere down the tracks. funny old game footy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Places you bob up. Goes full so, circle, doesn't it? It <laughs> does, yeah. Where do you, this is a funny question, but where do you see yourself in, in 20 years' time? I can imagine you donning your favourite pair of Speedos, sunning yourself on Noosa somewhere. <laughs> Oh, 20 years time. Oh, he's 76. I hope, I hope I'm a, gra- I'm a grandfather. Yep. Uh, that's really important to me. I love, love to see my daughters have some, some children and yeah. uh, that'll, that'll be fun. Uh, hopefully I'm, I'm enjoying life. Hopefully I'm still involved in footy in some way, not yeah. full on, but in some way, keep the interest. Yep. Um, and I hope Ursa and I and all my family are still fit and healthy. Um, think they're the most important things in life. I think, you know, learnt that when the big rough got cancer, mate. That sort of yeah. hit you, hit you right home. Just how important you can have all these great things and have all this profile and and all that. But 
at the end of the day, your health's the most important thing. So, uh, yeah, I just hope I'm still healthy, sore, and still got a smile on my face and still optimistic and and uh, still doing something meaningful in my life. I've no doubt you will be, Fags. Um, thank you very much for the chat. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I do. It's gone pretty quick, hasn't <laughs> it? Was good, wasn't it? Oh, I didn't know. You're pretty good at this, mate. Well done. Uh, it's easy when you've got a good subject to work with, Fags. Thank you. No worries. Pleasure. We're talking footy.